Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Sports Day DFW. I can't even say W. Dallas Morning News podcast, Ballsy. I am Kevin Sherrington. I'm Barry Horn. And not joining us is Evan Grant, who's had some uh, medical issues. Well, let's let's just morning. put it out there. We, we We alluded to it. He's, 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 he's prepping for a colonoscopy. Oh, my gosh. Well, it, it's, 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 it's true. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Joining us on the phone, though, a guy who is not having a colonoscopy, even as he speaks to Although us. Although he, he probably wishes he was, <laughs> rather than do this. More pleasant. David Moore. Hi, David. How are you? Are you sure Evan's not on the show because he ate that big block of cheese that he was shown? Can you believe that? Oh, my gosh. Around. I could not believe that. Big wheels of cheese all yeah. over the place. He'll do anything to get in the paper, won't he? He'd, he'd rather be a food critic or write about food than write about the Rangers, I think. Uh, I wouldn't say rather, but it's close. It's very close. He's a food eater. There's no question He's about that. He's a foodie, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was I big news. there are weeks during the season where he much would have much preferred riding about food than the Rangers yeah. for p- certain periods of time, maybe yeah. not overall. Yeah, that, that, that could be very well true. David, you are now covering an NFL juggernaut. What has happened to these Cowboys in this season? How did they go from that game against – uh, San Francisco, when you and I sat there and discussed what we were going to write, and I was saying, okay, I'll write that uh, this team has got to beat a good team at some point, and uh, we, we can't count the 49ers, so how much does this really mean? And then they go out and, and pretty much play their best game of the season against the Chiefs. How does that happen? Well, but the, wait, well let's go back to the game you skipped over. The yeah. Redskins are not a really good team either. No, uh, no. Okay. So no. now they've beaten their – they, they've beaten their first really good team. Okay. The Redskins aren't bad, uh, but the, they've beaten a, a good team. How does that happen, David? Well, to Barry's point, though, Washington may not be good, but they just went to Seattle and won in mm-hmm. Seattle good against point. a Seahawks team that appeared to be playing pretty well at the time. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think after, uh, after losing back-to-back games at home where they allowed 35 points in each of those games and, and losses to the uh, Rams and then the Packers, uh, I think they stepped back, uh, did, you know, looked at where they were, and just went, we've got to get back to the team that we were last year to, to have success. And I think with that bye week, with that additional time, uh, they doubled down. They reinforced that message. Uh, they started running the ball better. Uh, and, you know, what's interesting, I think this Kansas City game showed that, that so much of the narrative has been, well, Ezekiel Elliott makes this defense a lot better because, he consumes the clock and keeps the defense off the field. All that is true, but I think you've seen during this three-game winning streak that the defense has shown it can stand on its own and is not completely Elliott-dependent. I think they really showed that in the Kansas City game. And like you said, you, you saw signs of them getting better against San Francisco and Washington. It was difficult to go all in because neither one of those, both of those offenses were compromised, so you couldn't really be sure what you were seeing from this uh, Dallas defense. Uh, was it just the fact it was going against compromised offenses that weren't very good, or uh, was this defense starting to make some strides? Uh, I think they showed with that win over Kansas City that this defense is making strides. In fact, you go back during this winning streak. Uh, the defense has allowed an average of 15.3 points a game, have held all three teams to an average below uh, 300 yards a game, and have 11 sacks and have forced seven turnovers. So this defense is doing some things, pressuring the quarterback, 
forcing some turnovers that we haven't seen it do for a while. You you com- you combine that with Ezekiel Elliott, the very very high level that Dak Prescott is playing, and uh, this team is is back where I thought many where many felt it should be, which is among the the top teams in the NFC. Even though the record does not place them at that at the moment, uh, they appear to be moving in that direction. So when when you get your MVP ballot for the most valuable player on the Cowboys this season, uh, who are your top three in order? In order? In order, yes. Go out on the limb. I want to know <laughs> one, two, three. The most valuable player you think on the Cowboys this season thus far has been? Dak Prescott, one. Sean Lee, two. Ezekiel Elliott, three. Yeah, I got you on one and two. I think the one, the one thing that I, I might do a little different from uh, Zeke is um, – uh, you know, Demarcus Lawrence has played so well this year. Um, and I think about that, you know, uh, I think there's probably a, a lot of things up for grabs. And that's what I want to ask you about. A, wait, wait, a, a, a wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's ask Barry what he thinks his oh, top Barry, three are. He, well, he, Barry, who do you think oh, your yeah, top no, yeah, Barry, please. Please, we all want to know what you think. <laughs> You're going to say Des? Tell us. No, I'm not going to uh, say. Tell everybody who you picked first in your fantasy on your fantasy team. I picked Des. Des Bryant, yeah. It was a mistake, okay? It was, it was a mistake. But okay. but why don't they throw him the damn ball oh, more often? Wow. Gosh almighty, wow. guy's free. He's, he's open every every oh, time. Oh, every, every, every th- play he's open. Throw him the ball. Yeah. No, I think I think I would go. I might even go Sean Lee one and then Dak two. No, you got to go with Dak one. No, no. Uh, I'm going to go Sean Lee one, Dak two, uh, Lawrence three. Lawrence three. Yeah. All right, because uh, I want to go back to the, on the defense, David. You know, uh, f- we saw from the beginning that the pass rush was better simply because of Demarcus Lawrence. He was getting to the to the quarterback so early and often. Um, but then they were struggling against the run. Uh, and then now now all of a sudden, uh, you know, against Kansas City, uh, now, now Kareem Hunt has not been as effective lately as yeah. he was early in the season. But he's still a very good running back, and they just completely shut him down in that game. So is it is it the combination of the fact that that uh, Sean Lee is back and healthy, and and you are getting David Irving now in there playing it uh, uh, next to Demarcus Lawrence at defensive tackle, and of course Malik Collins has uh, has been very effective in his in his very short career as well. Are we just finally seeing all these pieces coming together at the same time? Is that is that why we think the defense has been so much better? Well, I, I would point to the, the guy that we all put on our MVP list, Sean Lee. I would point to him first off. Uh, I, it's not as simplistic as saying simply him, but I don't think you could watch him in that Kansas City game and, and not recognize uh, the profound impact he has on the run game. Uh, not just him getting there, but getting everyone in the right spot and, and recognizing what the play is going to be and communicating that to everyone else in the front seven. Uh, he does that. Uh, he's unparalleled in that. He's outstanding in that. And and look, in, in the two games Sean Lee missed, uh, opponents rushed for an average of 164 yards a game. In all of the games that Sean Lee has played in the five in the six that he's played, teams are averaging 80 yards a game. Uh, that that is dramatic, and it can't all be contributed to Sean Lee's absence or presence, but. You can't minimize it either. It's certainly a significant, uh, you know, fact in, in their ability to defend the run much better. But also, you know, early in the season, too, you had uh, Stephen Paella came in, and he was starting at that one technique 
uh, the, one of the defense of uh, the two defensive tackles specifically to stop the run. He retired. He was just never right with his knee. And, and then what they finally did was they went, you know what? Let's just do in the defensive line what we've done in the offensive line. We get our our four best players in this case. It's five in the offensive line. But let's get our four best defensive players, get them out there on the field, and we'll just kind of make do because all these guys have position flex. So what happened is you moved Malik Collins over from that three technique to the one technique, uh, which is more of a run stopper. But now suddenly he's effective as a run stopper, but he also gives you more he pushes the pocket more as a pass rushing threat, uh, and now and now suddenly in that three technique you have David Irving to put in there. Uh, you have Tyrone Crawford who's good against the run, uh, who also was playing some inside at tackle. Now you put him at left defensive end, and, and he's very good against the run. And you have Demarcus Lawrence on the right side as your primary pass rusher, who was outstanding as a defensive run guy, setting the edge on the left side a couple of years ago. So, so you went from kind of mixing and matching and, and having a big hole in the middle to finally uh, getting this group together. So, it, but, but the key there was David Irvin coming back after his four-game suspension, uh, which allowed them to do this in the defensive line. And right about the time David Irvin came back, uh, Sean Lee came back uh, from his hamstring injury. And I would say those two primarily are the reason you've seen such a uh, significant def- uh, alteration on defense as far as effectiveness. Well, Kevin's been calling for that all season, haven't you? Just put your four best defensive linemen out there. Well, yeah. Well, why wouldn't you do that anytime? What? No. What took What took them so long to come up with that that plan? Well, I guess I, I, I guess think, Irving. They needed Irving back. Yeah. Well, that, they needed Irving back. Yeah, that was the key. But the other was, look, they they have good speed in the defensive line, but they're undersized. And so they wanted a, a bigger guy at that one technique because they really are one of the smaller defensive lines in the league. And teams were just going, okay, let's just hammer them away inside here because they don't have the size. So they felt they needed an element of size in there. Uh, Malik Collins doesn't particularly have the size, uh, but he's a really tough guy, knows how to play the position, uh, plays with outstanding leverage. So they were able to do that. But, you know, he showed enough at that three technique. They wanted to keep him there. But but now that you move him over to the one uh, and this defensive line is clicked and you actually get pressure on the quarterback from all four spots now, something they haven't had, uh, they're going, well, hey, we, we can make this work with Sean Lee being back. Uh, you take Sean Lee and Anthony Hitchens out of there, and uh, Hitchens missed a lot of time too. Uh, and, and he's also factor into the, the rise of this defense. He came back. Uh, about the same time Sean Lee did. Uh, so uh, all of that together in the front seven has allowed the front seven to come together in a way that just wasn't there in the first four games of the season. You know, Dave, that's an interesting point about the size of the defensive line and Malik, you know, because you do see some awfully big uh, one-technique defensive tackles uh, in the league. But, you know, you were you were covering the Cowboys in the early days of, of Jimmy Johnson. Um he didn't have big defensive line. David was covering the Cowboys in the early days of Tom Landry. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he didn't have big that defensive line. That is true, unfortunately. Yeah, he didn't have big defensive line. You know, basically, his, his defense was all built on speed. Yeah, and this is uh, very much what Marinelli does, too. That being said, when you're undersized, you better have the linebackers to clean it up, and yeah. you better be playing good enough technique because, you know, for everything this – 
uh, Marinelli defense does or, or, or doesn't do, as it's been accused of in, in recent years, it starts with stopping the run. Uh, that is what they have to do. When they stop the run, then you're able to see their speed uh, at rushing the passer. And that's what happened with Kansas City. Uh, you know, Kareem Hunt came in and was leading the league in rushing. He still left as the leading rusher in the league. Uh, but that gap over Ezekiel Elliott uh, altered dramatically because they held him to 37 yards, and he really wasn't a factor. And uh, so, and and this is you know last year in that 13 and three year, for all of the things that that defense didn't do last year for the Cowboys, it didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, didn't force a lot of turnovers. But what they did was they stopped the run and they forced teams into obvious passing situations. And then they did a pretty good job on third-down conversion defense. And that's what that's a, a key principle of, of what uh, Marinelli wants. So while he wants speed, while he will lean toward the undersized lineman in order to get that speed and, and keep that pressure on the quarterback, if, you don't, if your run defense doesn't play at least to an acceptable level, all of that kind of falls apart. And that's what you saw in those two games against the Rams and the Packers. And uh, you've seen a, a big defense uh, retrenching, if you will, since that point. But isn't one of the keys to Demarcus Lawrence that he slimmed down? Uh, Tony Romo during the game even said this is the, this, the lightest he's seen uh, Lawrence play and the best he's seen Lawrence play. So it, do you agree with that? Is Lawrence, is Lawrence like, tiny on this in, for an NFL defensive lineman now? Well, he, yeah, he, he, you know, look, before he was on the left defensive end, so he was carrying a little extra weight because you have more run responsibilities over there as far as setting the edge. So you want a little bit bulkier over there, uh, historically, is how, how this sets up. Uh, so they knew they were going to use him more at right end this year, so that, so that factored into it. But the other thing I would say, too, is, you know, he's had back surgery in, in the last two seasons. And so they've had to monitor his return. So I think uh, he wasn't able to uh, run as much. He wasn't able to do some things to take off the weight. And so, and look, we're just talking a, a few pounds here. We're, we're not talking a, a guy who was never out of shape. But no, I think right. because of the back, because of the back issues in the last couple of years, he carried a little extra weight more so than he would have wanted just because he wasn't able to do everything from a conditioning and a weight standpoint that he wanted to do during the season. Uh, now that's not an issue. This is the best he's felt uh, really, I think, in his entire time with the Cowboys. Because if you go back and you remember, uh, he was injured uh, his first year uh, with the Cowboys and, and missed half a season right off the bat. So, uh, he's healthy, and you certainly see it. And, and look, this was the Kansas City game was the first game this year. He has not had a sack, but the coaches were talking about it was certainly one of his better games because he was consistently applying pressure. And, and now what you have is something you haven't had with the Cowboys defense in a long time. You have two players in the defensive line that offenses have to account for in Demarcus Lawrence and David Irving. And while you're talking about Demarcus Lawrence losing weight and trimming down, David Irving came back from that suspension with added muscle and added weight, but it was primarily muscle. He was bigger than he was during the suspension uh, before the suspension started, but was in outstanding shape. And it's really been, uh, I think, a tribute to him 
that he's been able to have an immediate impact after missing four games and coming in to play at the level he has. Uh, the coaching staff is ecstatic about the shape he came back in and the impact he's had from day one. David, I want to bring up some breaking news here. Uh, a, a guest, a longtime friend of the, of the Ballsy podcast, Chris Sims, who was uh, just with us this morning, as a matter of fact, talking colleges. The bleacher, his Bleacher Report power rankings of the NFL just came out just after he finished talking to us. It's amazing he could do both of those he, things he at could, once. He could have scooped himself. He's he multitasking. <laughs> yeah, all right. He's multitasking. At any rate, he's got the Cowboys seventh. Uh, right now, which which is sounds pretty good. And here's the first paragraph of what he's talking about with the Chiefs to, to the point you were just making. Uh, when he talks about that they beat the Kansas City Chiefs thanks to the elite offensive and defensive lines. This is the strength of the Cowboys. They can run the ball as well as any team in the NFL, and they can make life miserable on opposing lines, ball carriers, and quarterbacks. When did you think that anyone would ever say that this is one of the strengths of the Cowboys, their defensive line, which has been pretty much a mess for probably about six or seven years. Well, it has been a mess, and it's been interesting because, as we've talked about before, they've addressed their shortcomings in the offensive line, and they did it by repeatedly throwing first-round picks at the position. Uh, they would bring in first-round picks and, and find spots for them, and, and they rebuilt that offensive line fairly quickly, but at a, at a very high – you can see what the premium was. Well, they haven't done that in the defensive line. They did it by throwing second-round picks or third-round picks or seventh-round picks at the position, and they really went you know, more on a numbers approach than they did on high. Look, I understand a second's a high draft pick, and DeMarcus Lawrence is an example. They gave up a third right. along with the second in order to jump up to the top of the second round to take him several years ago. But – they weren't, you know, before this year when they spent the first-round pick on Taco Charlton, uh, they addressed the position, by and large, through the second round, periodically through the years, or systematically, I should say, not periodically, because it's been a, a periodic approach here, systematic approach here in recent years. And, look, just signing free agents and, and you know, veteran free agents to come in and plug a hole. Uh you know, this team went through for years, and it had like a, a Jeremy Mincy would come in and have six sacks and lead the team, uh, lead right. the team in sacks. George Sylvie, uh, who was working at a Home Depot when they got him, <laughs> came in and had uh, six sacks to lead them for another season. So they were just kind of bringing journeymen in and trying to develop second, third, fourth, fifth round picks, and it just hadn't, you know, it just hadn't taken hold. But it, it took hold this year, and it was because of the second-round pick in, in DeMarcus Lawrence. It's because of the third-round pick they had last year, in last year's outstanding draft class in Malik Collins. Uh, he's going to be an anchor in this defensive front line, I think, for a long time, uh, even though he doesn't have the sack numbers. Uh, very, very good player and uh, allows those other guys to operate and do what they need to do. And, and really the key one, you, you, when you do that and you address it by numbers rather than, than first-round picks, you're going to have to get lucky, and they got lucky when they picked David Irving off of the Kansas City practice squad and have stuck with him and developed him, and now he's uh, one of the better interior defensive linemen in the league this season. Do you think, David, that Specter of Taco Charlton being there has, Specter. has, has made everybody play harder because they're afraid that, that he's going to come and take one of their jobs at the defensive ends? Well, <laughs> I, I guess that's a 
an homage to uh, the Bond, James Bond series at some point, bringing up Spectre. Spectre, yeah, there Marco we go. Nelson here. Um, but look, they, they know Taco Charlton's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, Taco Charlton is literally the reason Demontre Moore is not here. Who, another veteran they brought in to, to kind of plug the position. So I, you know, it, it, it's a wake up call to some extent where it's like, okay, they're bringing this guy in. Uh, you know, I'm toward the end of my contract here. If I want to stay here, or if I want to, uh, get a big money deal in this league. Uh, it, it's time to perform. Um, I don't know that he is necessarily. I, I don't know that you can credit Tucko Charlton as being the spark to what this uh, defensive being, line has done. I was being facetious. But I, I, I knew you were being facetious. But I mean, it does show you that. Look, um, you know, we're ready to move on. We have a first round pick here. You're not a first round pick. Uh, if you don't start performing here. You know we're going to keep the first round pick at your expense. If, you know that's going to be the tiebreaker. Uh, you better show us that you're clearly better than this guy, or we're ready to move on. So I, I think there's a not so subtle message in that. Ooh. Sure, uh, David. You know now I'm just watching the game on television. Unlike you, you're out there at Jerry World and you're seeing all this uh, live. Yeah, and he's uh, watching it on the big screen. He's sure. watching it on the big screen. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, when you're uh, in that game, watching it on television, I mean, I'm watching Dak set up, and he's throwing the ball downfield. It seemed like uh, in his throws, and I don't know what the breakdown was in that game, but it seemed like he threw downfield more against the Chiefs than he had against anybody this year, maybe combined. And 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 finding he was finding receivers downfield. They weren't constantly throwing underneath like they'd been against everybody else. Was that simply because of the the, the way the the Chiefs' defense set up, or is he just being more aggressive and going downfield? He's been more aggressive this year. He's had mixed results with it early, and I think you didn't see the benefits of that early because they weren't running the ball that well. And I, so I think he was taking some things underneath because. Uh, frankly, they didn't have to devote you know, some extra players to the run game, or if they did, uh, they were stopping that so much. It, you know, Suddenly, Dallas was looking at third and eight and third and nine, not third and two and third and three like they are now, which makes a huge difference as far as what you bring in uh, on the playbook and what you can run and throw. So I, I think you're seeing the benefits of him having another year in the system the ground game reestablishing itself, this team's offensive identity reestablishing itself. And Dak Prescott did one of the things he worked on most in the offseason was, okay, this whole risk-reward ratio. If teams are going to stack up uh, to stop the run against Elliott, and that's what they're going to do, I'm going to have to take advantage of it. I'm going to have to make them pay. So you see him looking down the field more than you did last season. And you're right, I, I think you saw it in this game. And look, Kansas City is one of the worst run defenses in the league. They clearly went all in trying to stop the run. And right. just saying, you know, they, look, you have to make a choice going into these games. And, and, and these opponents have deficiencies as well. Their deficiency was stopping the run. So they were saying, you know what, if we just sit back and we don't stop the run, there's no way we can win this game. We're just not going to get the ball back. We're just going to be beaten physically in, in the time of possession. We're not going to have the time to get into any sort of offensive rhythm. So let's go ahead and flood the box with eight, nine guys, and let's just see if Dak Prescott will take these shots down the field. And even if he does, we're betting that he's not going to do it at a high enough percentage to make us pay to change our defense. Well, Dak Prescott did it at a high enough percentage to make them pay 
And uh, I thought Dallas really controlled that game from start to finish against one of the better teams in the league. And uh, I thought this was clearly, uh, it's undisputably their most significant win of the season. And I think it's a, a pretty strong signal that this team is, is playing at a high level now and is ready to go forward, even with the uncertainty of Ezekiel Elliott that continues to hang over this team's head. David, I wanted to ask you about uh, Jerry World, which I believe Kevin Sherrington, uh, let's give him credit, came up with that. Did you come up with Jerry World? Yes, I did. Yeah, because you tell me that every day. I do not say that every day. But, but the, the sun, the, the, the sun. The sun is that a loving the, reference the, or a derisive? Is that a loving or a derisive reference? Lo- lo- loving, loving, loving to Kevin always. Yeah. But it, it, it seemed to be a bigger deal in this game. Uh, maybe it was just circumstance. But is there anything that can be done about that? Or do they want to do sure. anything about it? Or Brandon George said if Jerry wanted to do something about it, something would be done. There. You got motorized but, shades to go up and down if you uh, wanted to. David, your thoughts? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. We, we've uh, I've spoken to the architect uh, who oversaw the uh, construction of, of the stadium. Uh, I wouldn't say he's sensitive on this <laughs> issue, but he's, but he's borderline combative on look. We're aware of what happened here, but why this remains an issue is that part of their long-range plan was there were going to be buildings built. It was going that area was going to build up to which the outside architecture not associated with AT&T Stadium would block the sun, and it was not supposed to be an issue at this time based on their concept of how that area would develop. Now that area has not developed. The area around the stadium is not developed the way everyone envisioned, which is why this remains an issue. Uh, you know, people talk about curtains, they talk about blinds. There's also the technology to tent. Uh, you know, you can have uh, that would require replacing a large block of, of the glass there uh, with tinted glass that could adapt to the intensity of the sun. So it's not always like a dark view, it could be. Uh, lighter based on what the sun is. Uh, it's sky, sky magic technology, I believe they call it. And so that would fit right in with sky mirror. So uh, I'm sure that's something they've looked at as well. But yeah, at this point, they haven't wanted to spend the money on it. And remember, they spent a lot of their money uh, building a new world headquarters and developing that. So I think this will be addressed at some point uh, because it continues to be a, a, a source of uh, conversation uh, at different stages of the season, but given the night games they played, uh, and, and, and you know, as Jason Garrett says, look, um, both teams have to deal with this, and, and you can also make an argument from a competitive standpoint that shouldn't Dallas, shouldn't it be more of an issue for the opponent than it is Dallas? Shouldn't they know what plays to call at what time of day, at what time of year? Uh, when you're looking in the sun, when you're not, uh, what side of the field to take, uh, all of those things. They should have a better feel for that. So I understand why people want to talk about it, but I don't know that it's the issue that everyone makes it out to be. It'll become an issue, David, when uh, a play, a Cowboys season is riding on a play and a wide receiver misses a ball. It'll be Dez. Uh, <laughs> it'll miss sure. the ball, and then they don't go to the playoffs or they don't, or they don't win a playoff game or they don't, you know, uh, don't win an NFC championship game. 
because of, of something like that. And I, I think, and I think you're, it, is, it is always about money with Jerry, for one thing. But I do think, too, he looks at Jerry World as, as a piece of art, you know, and you, you don't put shades on a piece you of art. You don't need to face it. Yeah, yeah, you're not going to put right. You're not going to bring in velour curtains and right, right. I think that's I think it's entirely what it is with Jerry. I think it's like he just wants those guys. They they feel like yeah, it's it's both ways. But until it really hurts them, they won't they won't think that. So David, but before I I know you're about to, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the upcoming game against the Falcons. The who? <clears throat> the Falcons. The Falcons. David, is is the are the Falcons? Oh, are they? I'm going to set you up, and you're not going to let yeah, me yeah. ask the question. No, I'm not going to let you. I no, think they're the most disappointing team in the NFL. Well, they are, and that's why I was going to get to why. Because this is what I'm thinking about writing for my column tomorrow. Oh, David, he wants you to write his column. Don't give him any good <laughs> stuff. Did Kyle Shanahan leaving that team really make this much difference? Well, it makes a huge difference, yeah, uh, because the guy develops a feel. Uh, you know. I, I'm not sure at what level this Cowboys offense would be running right now uh, if Scott Linehan wasn't here. Now, I, I think that someone would come in and you get back to the level it was before, but I think when you develop a rhythm and you're the one who kind of structured the offense and the game plans around each of these guys' skills and see them day in and day out and see what they do in a particular game uh, and how they respond, and it, it, you just develop – uh, uh, a cohesion and a and a simpatico, if you will, with, with your guys that you're able to do things and, and know when to do them. Look, that that's another big key too is knowing when to do things, when to call something, and uh, you can be given the same uh, play script to another offensive play caller who has a very good mind and knows what to do, but he doesn't necessarily know when to call it based on the guys that you have. So there, there are subtle differences that I think make a huge difference on offense. So, one, yeah, I think Shanahan's departure has been significant. The, 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 you know, the, the hangover from the way they lost that Super Bowl, uh, I, I don't think that can be dismissed. I mean, this was a team that, that outplayed New England for the majority of the game uh, and came up losing that game somehow. I think that's very hard for them to deal with. And, and you know you had issues last year defensively, although you know they addressed a lot of those, but in addressing some of their defensive issues, uh, they're just not nearly as explosive of an offensive team as, as they were last year. Uh, they just aren't. And this isn't unusual, though. I mean, you know, defensive coordinators have an entire offseason to take away what you do best. And, and I think Matt Ryan's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Uh, he was certainly an MVP last year, but this is not an MVP season for Matt Ryan to this point. That's my second pick in my fantasy draft. <laughs> I Des won <clears throat> Matt Ryan till I really, I really did. But but you see what Kevin did there. Kevin is a genius because he brought Kyle Shanahan in, who we talked to, who we talked to Chris Sims about in the college podcast, because Chris actually has a tattoo of Kyle Shanahan and several other of his college teammates at the University of Texas. He didn't say where, though, did he? No, I didn't want to know. And this will stun you, David. Chris so, Sim, so this podcast is really just column a, prep for Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> they is. all are. Yes, they, 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 he takes he notes. Everyone else weighing in. David, he's, David, he's, down, David, he's sitting I've here. I've been taking good notes. He's, yeah. he's sitting here taking notes on it. But also, this may stun listeners to the Cowboy podcast, but Chris Sims, son of Phil Sims, who tormented the Cowboys all those years as quarterback of the New York Giants, uh, won one Super Bowl, was on two Super Bowl-winning teams, 
Chris Sims is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. Really? Interesting. <laughs> wow. They all are. That's, it's, as he said, he, when he explained it, he said, it's America's team. Well, you know, Jim Nance is from um, New Jersey. He grew up in New Jersey. He's, he grew up a big Cowboys fan as well. And he went to the University of Houston. He, oh, he didn't go to where – where did he go for the four years, the four-year school? <laughs> oh, that, uh, you know, Jim and I had the same business law class. Where, did he, did, did, which one of you didn't show up more? Uh, you know what? I think he was always there, as I recall. Was he sitting in the front row? No, he was not. He was sitting over on the left side of the room, though. I remember that. Okay. Um, but, David, do we have do we have anything else for David, or can we let him go? Do you have any other column, any other questions for to help him write your David, column? is there anything? If, there's, listen, if you could just put that down in an email and just send it to me, uh, that would be great. I'd really appreciate it. If you could get it to me by, like, one, that'd be perfect. So, so what's our topic next week to prepare for your column? Next, matter, oh, it's, come on, next out. week? Are you kidding me? It's it's who's better, Dak or <laughs> Dak or Carson? Oh, because they play the because they're they'll they're have a Sunday Eagles next week. A Sunday night football game against the Eagles, where the the glare won't come into uh, no. come into the conversation. We hope anyway. Right? Give us give us a tease of that, David. Is this gonna are, are these it, will the NFC East have the two in in five? Let's say three years. In three years, will the NFC East have the two best quarterbacks in football? Strong argument can be made. They will, yeah. Uh, if not the two best, certainly I think two of the top five. Yeah, I think that's that's in the same probably, division. Yeah, I think this, yeah, this is going to be set up for a great this division. That the Dak Prescott Carson Wentz battle. Uh, both of these guys coming in in the same class, same division. Uh, these two teams, I, I think, it's going to be a. Uh, a lot of fun going forward with this rivalry over the next ten years. Yeah, and, it will. But don't discount Jared Goff any now because you know that that loss looks a lot better now than it did when it happened. Absolutely, and that's the other part. That was going to be the other part of my column was talking about what Sean McVay has done for Jared Goff. Last year, everybody thought Jared Goff was a huge bust, and now da- look at him this year. Look, da- what he's doing. David, anything you want to add to that for Kevin? <laughs> yeah, David, how yeah. can you help me out with that one, David? In fact, I believe I believe someone I saw on social media this weekend during the uh, when the Rams were hanging up uh, half a hundred on the uh, Giants' defense. Someone said uh, that uh, Fisher should be fired again after watching this offense go against uh, the Giants. So. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It just it was just phenomenal to me to watch that. I, I just I don't understand how can a how can a coach. I mean, we all know that, that that coaches make a difference, but we've also all seen a lot of teams that just they fire a coach, bring in a new coach, no difference, no difference, no difference. And yet, here comes a guy who looks like he's about 15 years old. He is 15, and he comes in and just transforms the team because of the the, the job he does with the quarterback. And then we see what happened with the Falcons, what they did, what they've done without Kyle Shanahan, now the coach of the 49ers. David, it's been great having you on. As always, we love having you on the podcast. Why don't we just Why don't we just make him an official and make him a ballsy regular? A ballsy regular? Well, he kind of is a ballsy regular. <laughs> we, but we we were you weren't supposed to say that on the air because that that affects our contract negotiations with David. It gives David too much <laughs> yeah, leverage. Yeah, I, I think I know how contract negotiations go at the Dallas Morning News. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. I think you do. I think you do. <laughs> David, it's great having you on. Thanks for coming in, man. Thanks, man. I'm going to go eat a big block of cheese. And I'll talk to you, <laughs> wow. you and Evan. You, Way to wow, go. Wow, what a rip at Evan. What, a, what was a rip at Evan? Did you not look? Did you see that? Did you see this? The, yes. I, I, oh, and not my only that, gosh. Did you notice the week before he went to the kosher Texas barbecue off or whatever it was? He went there and he ate a bunch of kosher <laughs> barbecue. <laughs> 
<laughs> I tell you what, there's n- nobody at this paper with more he irons want, in the fire than Evan. I'm Gray. telling you, he wants to be a food critic. He wants to be a foodie. He just wants to be around Sarah Blaskovich. That's what it is. Well, that that that's what silence, <laughs> Tommy. Producer Tommy woke up. <laughs> <laughs> Producer Tommy woke up on that one. But I think I think we better go now because we're going to have a third podcast today, and we're we are hopefully be able to include Evan. Yeah, he's, he's going to be sitting on a donut pillow. I well, think because Evan, Evan, is, if in case you missed it, is having a colonoscopy tomorrow and is prepping for it. Is it tomorrow? I thought it was today. I don't. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it is later today. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But you know, not not, not a pretty sight or thought. Uh, but we'll. <laughs> We'll move on from that. No, uh, but we did have a pretty sight and a pretty thought because we did have Chris Sims. What, on, uh, what is that? I don't know. I'm you got a little to, man crush I'm, there? I'm, I'm, trying to transition, <laughs> I'm trying to transition out of this in, in, into something. Uh, where, 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 there, there was nowhere to go. No, you you're right. The, you're so right. Uh, Chris Sims on a college football podcast. Yep. He's very uh, high or very enthusiastic about Notre Dame's chances. Also very high on Baker Mayfield on his oh, Heisman chances. Oh, my gosh, yes. He loves him. And, yeah. loves, loves his NFL prospects. Loves his NFL prospects. Uh, Which is a little surprising to me. Talks talks about him as the next coming of Russell Wilson. Yeah, that, that's what – and, of course, that's what his the, his size is not as much of a problem because he is able to move. Well, Drew Brees is, is, is He's probably – pretty short. Another, another guy Texas is, I don't think, University of. Here's the thing I think people need to remember about quarterbacks. There are very few in the NFL who are 6'4". Very few. Very few. And Cowboys it, have one. And even some of the – Carson yeah. Wentz is, uh, is another oh, well, one. That's, that, but Dak's not 6'4". No? But, uh, but you know, across the across the board, there are more 6'4 guys who aren't any good uh, than who are. You know, it, it's a rare thing when you get a, get that guy who's just the – just everything you wanted in a quarterback. You know, size, it's, intangibles, all the rest of that kind of stuff. Arm. Yeah, it's 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 very rare. So uh, I I felt like that what was going to keep Baker Mayfield from being a good pro quarterback was just the little bit of the he's a little excitable, you know. He's he, you know everybody talks how about how do you think the veteran players were reacting? Well, to? He's a little cocky too. Well, I'm a little more more than a little. I, I think it's okay if, but if you could be cocky if you could produce if your teammates like you, and I think that that Baker's teammates like him. It's, it's okay, but you're right, uh, opponents. Are going to be a you know you don't think that they don't like to you know if if a guy's jumping up and being as he's got a little Johnny Manziel in him, uh, I think that invites opponents to kind of take extra shots at you when you do that kind of thing. So it could be difficult, but that's something we'll talk about later. Okay, so we're done because we're talking about it later. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're done. done. That's it. We're going to move on. We invite everybody to listen to our other ballsy podcasts this week. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on where else? Computer? Audio boom. Audio boom. And check us out at, uh, what, what's the Apple app? SportsDayDFW.com. Is that what you're going to say? iTunes. Thank iTunes? you, Tommy. Oh, okay. Thank you, Tommy. Uh, but for now, we'll say goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.